Jeffrey Dahmer was a serial killer. And on February 15, 1992, Jeffrey Dahmer was sentenced to 15 life sentences for killing 17 people. And he didn't just kill them, he did unspeakable things to them. Jeffrey Dahmer is a failure by any standard. The lowest of the low, demon-possessed, sin-hardened, devoid of any kind of love. And my friends, he is exactly what you and I would be without the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that? But for the grace of God, there go I. That is so true. You and I would be as much or worse of failures as Jeffrey Dahmer if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit working on our lives. Every good and perfect gift, the Bible says, is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Everything good comes from God. Did you realize that by nature you are failures? Sorry about that. Sorry to share the bad news with you. By nature, we are all failures. That's what the Bible teaches. There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Paul tells us. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh, sold into bondage to sin. The mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. My friends, the Bible teaches clearly that by nature you and I are sinners. Failures. By nature. If it weren't, were not for the Holy Spirit, we would be Jeffrey Dahmer's or worse. But here's the good news. The good news is that recognizing that we are failures is very liberating because God knows that we are failures and he loves us anyway. Right? God knows that we are failures even better than we do and he loves us anyway. God knows that we are failures and in his perfect William, wisdom, he knows how to overcome our failures. God knows, and he loves us anyway. The Bible says God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God knows we're failures, and he died for us anyway. Most Christians believe that God exists. And most Christians believe that God holds the universe in his hands. But sometimes it is harder to believe that that same God loves us, loves me, even me, that God would even deign to lift a finger to help me. Who am I? Too insignificant, too sinful, too hopeless for God to care about. You know, the devil doesn't care how much we believe in God and how much we believe in his power, as long as we don't believe that he wants to use that power for us, that he loves us and is willing to help us. As long as we don't have faith in God's desire, his longing to bless us, the devil doesn't care how much we believe in God or how much faith we have in him. When we are converted, God does not remove our old nature immediately. We have a long ways to go, a long climb ahead of us. But Peter tells us that God can make us a partaker of the divine nature. Isn't that a wonderful thought? We can become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, God is going to take away a little bit of our nature and give us a little bit of his nature, and he's going to keep doing that 
until we have divine natures and not sinful ones. That's the, the process of sanctification. So, during that process, we're going to fall. We're going to fail. What happens when we fail? It's an important question. What happens to God when I fail? And what happens to me when I fail? Two very important questions. We have to understand. What happens to God when I fail? And what happens to me when I fail? What are the ramifications of failing? To help us understand this, let's look at three possible scenarios that encompass all failures in this world. Every failure in any one of us will fall into one of these three categories. The first one is unsurrendered sin. We sin because we're unsurrendered to God. The second one is we're surrendered to God, but we commit an unintentional sin. And the third one is we're surrendered to God and we commit an intentional sin. Every failure known to man falls into one of those three categories. So let's look at those three categories very quickly. Scenario number one, unsurrendered sin. You know, the unsurrendered person should not be surprised when they fail, when they sin. They shouldn't be. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, how can we possibly have victory over sin? Right? The Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and the devil will flee from you. But without the submission, do they really expect the devil to flee from them? Well, I did most of my life. Didn't work. But yeah, they shouldn't be surprised that they're going to fail. It. It's going to happen. It's expected. When I was in Jerusalem a few years back, they were putting in a new tram system right there by the old city. And... Um, it was a beautiful new system. They had beautiful cars. It was quiet. It was all electricity driven. There was no uh, gasoline engines or that kind of thing. It was a beautiful system. But where did that tram get its power from? If it didn't have an engine of its own, where did it get the power? It was kind of hilly there around Jerusalem. Where did it get its power? Well, it has this little arm on the top. It's a very slender arm that it reaches up and it connects with the power lines, right? Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. My friends, when we are disconnected, even by the smallest gap from that power line above us, we're going to be powerless. We're going to sit there. We're not going to make any headway. We're going to be powerless. And we should, we should expect that. Unless we are totally surrendered to Jesus and connected fully with him, we're not going to have power. We're going to fail. That should be no surprise. So that's scenario one. Let's look at scenario two. We're surrendered, truly surrendered to Jesus, wholly surrendered to him, but we commit an unintentional sin. In other words, we make a mistake. Or we have a shortcoming. Or a character flaw. Unintentional failure, my friends, is common. Even among wholly surrendered Christians. We saw that in in the How Does a Christian Sin presentation. Self is still alive and fighting. It will still try to give us impulses of pride and of selfishness and of jealousy and of anger and of all kinds of bad things that we don't want. We don't choose it, we don't want it, but it's gonna happen. As long as we don't dwell on it and accept it and choose it, it's still unintentional sin. So get used to it. We're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna step on glass, not intentionally, but we're going to do it. Third scenario, surrendered intentional sin. This one's a problem area. This is a, this is a problem. Because here we are saying 
that um, we know God's way, but we're rejecting it, at least in some little area of our life. And this separates us from God. Isaiah says that your sins separate you from him. That's a bad thing. There's no good, there's no good to that. We separate ourselves from the source of power, we're going to fail. Even worse, it's going to be a landslide of failure as long as we're separated from God. When we are submitted wholly to Christ, wholly surrendered to him, intentional failure is abnormal. It's not something we should expect. Intentional failure means that we are making a choice to walk away, turn our backs on God. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's a promise. We know that when we are submitted wholly to God, the devil will flee from us. That's a great promise. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. What a wonderful promise. We should memorize these. By yielding up our will, your will to Christ, you ally yourself with the power that is above all principalities and powers. So my friends, when you are surrendered to Jesus, you should expect victory. And if you're not getting victory over intentional sins, then you have to be concerned. When the soul surrenders itself to Christ, a new power takes possession of the new heart. A change is wrought which man can never accomplish for himself. It is a supernatural work, bringing a supernatural element into human nature. The soul that is yielded to Christ becomes his own fortress. I love that statement. Which he holds in a revolted world. And he intends that no authority shall be known in it but his own. She goes on. A soul thus kept in possession by the heavenly agencies is impregnable to the assaults of Satan. But unless we do yield ourselves to, to the control of Christ, we shall be dominated by the wicked one. So, these are the three scenarios. We're unsurrendered and we fail. No surprise there. We're surrendered and we fail unintentionally. That's normal. Or we are surrendered and we walk away from that surrender and we make an intentional bad choice. Those are the three possible scenarios in the Christian life. Now let me ask you a question. In which one of these scenarios does God stop loving us? Which one? None. God doesn't stop loving us. God's love isn't based on something we deserve or we do or don't do. God loves us. Regardless of the failure scenario. There's no possible failure scenario that can get God to stop loving us. That's good news. Have you ever heard someone say, God can't love me. I'm just too bad. I'm too sinful. I've done too many bad things. I'm a hopeless case. God can't love me. Have you ever said that to yourself? Maybe even subconsciously. When you say that, that reveals a fundamental misunderstanding of love, of God's love. You're saying that God's love is conditional. And that's not God's love. The Bible says that God is love. Not that he is loving. It says God is love. Have you ever tried taking and replacing the word love in 1 Corinthians 13 with the word God? God is patient. God is kind and not jealous. God does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. God does not seek his own, is not provoked. God does not take into account a wrong suffered. God does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. God bears all things, believes all things. God hopes all things. God endures all things. God never fails. Isn't that wonderful? God is love. What an incredible concept. A concept that you and I have a hard time understanding. 
Because for us, love is conditional. We love because somebody else loves us. We love because of the way people treat us. We have this conditional kind of love, but that's not the way God's work. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. We must begin at the real beginning with love as the divine energy. This primal love is gift love. In God, there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plentiness, uh, plenteousness that desires to give. God just wants to give. God just wants to love. God just wants you, unconditionally. A um, group of translators, Bible translators, were visiting an African tribe, and they were studying this word love because they were trying to translate the Bible. And so they realized that this African tribe, most of their verbs ended with either I, A, or U. And depending on which ending it had, it would mean something different. And they noticed that the, the U form was missing from the language. It wasn't used at all. So they decided they were going to try to figure out why this was. They took all the elders of the, of the African tribe and got them all together into a room and, and they started questioning them. They said, is it possible to devee your wife, the first one there? And they said, yes, it is. That means that you have loved somebody before, but not now. So you've loved your wife at one time, but you don't love her anymore. Then they asked, is it possible to divide your wife? And they said, yes, that's love if. In other words, as long as she takes care of me, as long as she gets the water and provides the food and stuff, as long as she's a good wife, I'll love her. That's conditional love. So then, then they asked the third question, can you devoo your wife? And the whole room <laughs> broke into laughter. And they said, no, of course not. That means you have to love her no matter what. Doesn't happen. There's, there's no word for that in our language. And it's the same with you and I. We really don't have this word unconditional love in our language. We have a hard time understanding it. It's not a human thing. It's a God thing. God does not stop loving us regardless of our failure condition. So again, these are the three failure scenarios. Let me ask you another question. We know that God doesn't stop loving us in any one of these, these scenarios. Let me ask you another question. In which one of these three scenarios do we stop deserving God's goodness? In which one of these scenarios do we start deserving God's goodness? Have you ever heard someone say, I don't deserve to be happy, I don't deserve to be saved, I don't deserve to be blessed, I'm so bad? Have you ever said that to yourself? Even subconsciously? My friends, in which one of these failure scenarios does deserving have anything to do with anything? If we ask that question, if we say, God can't deserve me, uh, can't love me, can't bless me because I don't deserve it, we show a fundamental misunderstanding of the Christian life because it's not about deserving. Grace is unmerited, which means undeserved blessings. It has nothing to do with our ability to deserve it. You know, the prodigal son and his brother had problems with this concept, right? Before... The prodigal son said, hey, father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me, Luke 15, 12. I deserve it. I'm going to go and I'm going to take that my money that I deserve and I'm going to go. Well, that didn't work out real well for him. After a while, he was feeding pigs and he was longing to eat what they were eating. And so he said, you know what? 
I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. This son had a misunderstanding of his father's love. He thought that he no longer deserved to be loved. What he didn't realize was that he never did. His father didn't love him because he deserved it. His father loved him because he was his son. And that's how it is between you and I and God. When the prodigal son came back to the father and this young man gave his speech, what did the father do? Did he say, oh yeah, you know, you're right. You really don't deserve to be my son anymore. Sure, I'll let you be my slave. Is that what he did? He ignored the speech completely. He didn't even answer it. He threw a robe on him, gave him a ring. He's the son. He's the son again. Your son has returned. My son has returned from the dead. He ignored the whole I don't deserve thing because deserving had nothing to do with it. Well, the prodigal son's brother had a problem with deserving too because remember what happened to him? He came in. He saw all this, this partying going on. And he says, hey, that's not right. I deserve to be treated better than that because I stayed here. I deserve it. I deserve better than my brother because I was faithful. My friends, deserving has nothing to do with it. God doesn't love us. God doesn't bless us because we deserve it. So in none of these failure scenarios does deserving have anything to do with it. I remember a time in my life after I had surrendered when I failed badly. Tim, where, where are you? This is my application. <laughs> I failed badly. And I remember saying to myself, man, I messed up real bad. I don't deserve God's goodness anymore. I deserve not to be in heaven. I remember saying that to myself. And you know what struck me at that exact moment when I was thinking that, those thoughts? I was saying, Mike, when did you ever deserve it? If you're saying that you don't deserve it right now, what does that mean? That means that at some point you felt you did deserve it. When did that ever happen? I never deserved God's grace, never. I never deserved salvation. I never deserved any of the goodness of God. It's not about deserving. So let's ask this question. What happens to God when I fail? Now that we've looked at these three scenarios, these three possible failure scenarios, and we've looked at God's love and deserving in the context of these three scenarios, what happens to God when I fail? Well, he does not stop loving us. He does not consider us less deserving or more deserving based on our actions. Good news. Mark Pierce tells a story of one time when he overheard some of his um, children saying to his son, you better obey, obey daddy because if you don't, he won't love you anymore. And uh, Mark called his son over there and he said, you know, that's really not true. And his son said, but if I disobey you, you're not going to love me anymore, are you? And his father said, yes, I will. You see, when you obey me, I love you with a love that makes me feel good. But when you disobey me, I love you with a love that hurts me. And that's what happens to God. God still keeps loving us but he loves us with a love that hurts him. That's all that happens to God. God doesn't stop loving us. He just loves us with a love that hurts him.
Regardless of the failure scenario, God loves us. I'd like to ask you a question. Do you think God loves Jeffrey Dahmer, that serial killer who killed 17 people? Do you think God loves him? How is that possible that God could love him? Did God love Jeffrey Dahmer after his first murder of an innocent victim? Did God still love this terrible creature? How about after the second murder? The fifth? The tenth? The fifteenth? The seventeenth? Did God still love him? When Jeffrey Dahmer was in prison, he was given a Bible and he read it and he was converted and he was baptized. Could Jeffrey Dahmer be in heaven? That's just not right. I don't know. I don't know how that could possibly be right. How can this guy who took all these innocent lives, how can he be in heaven? He doesn't deserve it. How can God possibly love him? My friends, will Jeffrey Dahmer be in heaven? If God has anything to say about it, he will. He will. Even Jeffrey Dahmer. My friends, there are seven things that you and I should know about God. One is he loves me more than I can possibly imagine. Two is that his patience with me is supernatural. Three, that he is actively doing, using all his wisdom and power to bless me as much as he possibly can. God is not leaving any stone unturned to bless us, to help us. Number four, God never gets tired. God never gets discouraged. He never throws up his hands and says, ah, oh, this person's hopeless, I'm going to give up. Isn't that wonderful news? Number six, God does not make mistakes, ever. God knows what he's doing. Doesn't get tired, doesn't give up, doesn't make mistakes. You've got to love our God. Number seven, God will succeed if I let him. God will succeed, even in you, even in me. God will succeed if we will only let him. And he can help us let him. So, that, that answers the question, what happens to God when we fail? He doesn't stop loving us. He just loves us with the love that hurts him. What happens to me when I fail? Let's look at that question very quickly. Well, now this one, this question, the answer depends on the failure scenario. Those three scenarios, this question, the answer to it depends on which of those scenarios we fail on. So let's look at those very quickly. If I fail in scenario one, when I'm unsurrendered, what happens to me when I fail? Well, I will receive the temporal consequences of that failure, either physical, mental, emotional, social, some kind of, of um, um, problem that I get from disobeying God. It just comes. It's a natural consequence. And I will be separated from Jesus. And I will need to repent and be reconnected or be connected to Jesus. That's what happens to me when, I, when I'm unsurrendered. What happens to me when I fail and I am surrendered, but I, surrender, but I make a mistake and I commit an unintentional sin? Well, I might receive the temporal consequences of that sin, the, temp the physical, mental, social, emotional health. I might receive that, or God might protect me from it. I don't know. What will happen to me when I commit an unintentional sin? I will mourn over it. I will repent of it. I will have a healthy self-loathing for self in me and sin. And I will repent and God will forgive me and my relationship with him won't be affected. God's robe of righteousness, Christ's robe of righteousness covers the unintentional sin. 
We are told that there are those who have known the pardoning love of Christ and who really desire to be children of God, yet they realize that their character is imperfect, their life faulty, and they are ready to doubt whether their hearts have been renewed by the Holy Spirit. To such, I would say, do not draw back in despair. We shall often have to bow down and weep at the feet of Jesus because of our shortcomings and mistakes. But we are not to be discouraged. Even if we are overcome by the enemy, we are not cast off, not forsaken, and rejected of God. Isn't that great news? When we make a mistake as a, as a uh, fully surrendered Christian, we should be praising God for the victories over the mistakes and shortcomings that he has given us. Because God does give us a lot of victory over our shortcomings and mistakes and character flaws. We should remember those things and praise him for it. Not get discouraged because we're still flawed, but praise God for the good things that he has been doing in us. God is making wonderful progress. God is pleased with us. Not because of what we are doing or what we are, but because of what he is doing in us. So that's, that's, surrender, that's scenario two. What happens in scenario three when I am surrendered, but I walk intentionally away from God? This one affects us worse of all. We will probably receive the physical, emotional, mental, and social consequences of our failure. And even worse, we will be separated from Jesus. Separated from the one who is our strength, who, is, who loves us, we will be separated from Jesus. The Bible says that if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord Jesus, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. So for those who are truly surrendered to Jesus and intentionally walk away, their last condition is worse than the first. And that's not a good thing. That's really bad to separate ourselves from the Lord and do it intentionally. The good news, my friends, is that God delights in accepting and bringing back and restoring prodigal children. That's the good news. Even intentional sins. God is willing to forgive us if we confess. He's willing to pick us up out of the mud. He is willing to work in us powerfully to bless us and others. But we must repent. We have to recommit our life to God. And as soon as possible, if we intentionally walk away from a surrendered life, our life is going to be a downhill slope and it's going to happen fast. So as soon as possible, repent and get back to that recommitted, surrendered experience. Moses recognized that God forgives sin. The Bible says, pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to your greatness of your loving kindness, just as you have also forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Moses saw how much God had forgiven Israel over and over and over again. Constant and flagrant failures, falling in the mud, and God continued to forgive them. They refused to listen and did not remember your wondrous deeds which you have performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, and you did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, This is your God who brought you up from Egypt and committed great blasphemies. You, in your great compassion, did not forsake them in the wilderness. 
The pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. That's Nehemiah chapter 9. Isn't that an incredible verse? Nehemiah understood the forgiveness of God. You look at the story of Israel, it's there to encourage you. When we fail, it's there to encourage us. It's wonderful that God refuses to treat us as we deserve and loves us unconditionally. To see the loving patience of God, you need merely look at the story of Jonah. You know, Jonah had a special connection with God. He was a prophet, right, of God. And one time, God came to him and he was asked to do something he didn't want to do. And so he intentionally walked away from God and said, I'm going to get as far away from God as possible. Do you think sin separates us from God? It sure does, very quickly. <coughs> Jonah didn't walk away from God, he ran as far as he could get. And yet, and yet God did whatever it took to rescue Jonah and to get him back on track over and over and over again. We've got a wonderful God. So, my friends, remember this. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Don't forget that. God loves us. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. But I want to give you a warning. It's easy for us to take this wonderful message of God's love and this whole deserving and not deserving thing. It's easy to say, oh, wow, great, God loves me, so I can go ahead and sin and repent and, you know, this whole thing. We have to be careful that we don't fall into that trap. Don't forget that what Paul said, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Talking about surrender. How can you, when you surrender your life to Christ, still live in sin? Jesus came to give us victory. That's the norm for the Christian life. If we fail, we must find out why. Why did we fail? Is it a unsurrendered failure? Is it a surrendered but unintentional failure? Or is it a surrendered intentional fail failure? And we need to plead with God to show us why we failed and how we can avoid it in the future. We are failures by nature, but God loves us anyway, regardless of the failure scenario. That's the summary of this whole presentation. We are failures by nature. God knows it. God loves us anyway. God is doing everything he can to keep us from failing and to pick us out of the mud when we do fail if we come back to him and recommit our lives to him. So God wants to be our safety line when we fall. Isn't that wonderful? Don't you want that rope attached to you when you fall? That's what we can have when we are failing in the arms of Jesus. When we are wholly surrendered to him, he is our safety line. We are failures by nature, but that's good news. God knows it, he loves us, and he can keep us from the really bad failure. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for understanding our frailty, and thank you so much, Father, that even though you do understand it, you're still, you still love us. You're still patient with us. You still work untiringly with us. You still forgive us over and over and over again. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father. I pray that you will keep us from failure, especially intentional failure, that you will help us to, to grasp hold of you and never let you go. We thank you for these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, 
or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.